morning once again. Good morning. How's my microphone? My name's Jeff Arthurs. I teach at a seminary in the area, and this is my third week with you. I'll be here next week also. And the topic that we're looking at over these four weeks is living in a world of hurt. The problem of evil, pain, suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people? What does the scripture say about this, about the trials in our lives? One of my students, Cody, is with me today in the front row, and it is good to be with you uh, once again. Shall we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. What we are not, please make us. Through Christ our Lord, amen. In the 1990s, I was teaching at a Bible college in Portland, Oregon, and during one of the years when I taught there, a student died. His roommate tried to wake him up in the morning, and he could not be roused, and he died. These things happen even to young people. As you can imagine, it was shocking, and the entire campus was grieving. He was popular on campus. He was a basketball player. He was a spiritual leader, but he was gone. A few days after his death, there was a large memorial service in a big church uh, within walking distance from the campus, a church probably this size, maybe even bigger than this church. I entered the back middle doors of the auditorium, and on this side of me was a group of students that were just weeping and holding each other and just so sad. There were some uh, members of the basketball team and some of the cheerleaders and just so sad. And not this far, here's one group of students, and not this far apart was another group of students that was carrying on and giving each other the high five and hugging because apparently one of their number had just gotten engaged and she was showing her engagement ring to everybody. And there I stood uh, in the middle, feeling like I was experiencing something of the human condition. Our lives are filled with happiness and and uh, friendship and, and joy and sorrow and loss and, and grief. And that is the nature of this pilgrim journey. We live in a world of hurt. And this morning, and throughout these four weeks, I'm speaking to those of you in this category. You're in the dark times. And the question this morning that we ask is, how can we not lose heart? How can we not become so discouraged and disappointed and angry and withdrawn and so that we actually abandon the faith? 
we just turn our backs on and say, that's enough of that. I've had it. I didn't expect this when I signed up. Time out. I'm leaving. How can we not lose heart? Even in the dark times. And the answer to that question is in our passage today, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Do you have your Bible? You can turn there. I'll also put it up on the screen here for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That phrase, we do not lose heart, actually brackets, it's on either end of our passage today. It, uh, it surrounds this passage and it gives us the subject matter. Second Corinthians chapter 4, you'll notice in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart heart. And then if you jump to the end of the passage, verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And so we want to use the Apostle Paul this morning as sort of a case study. Like, how could he say this? How could he say we do not lose heart? He had it worse than anyone in this room, including myself. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. They talked about him. He was in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger from his fellow countrymen, the Jews, in danger from the Gentiles. He was constantly being mistreated and persecuted. But here he says, we do not lose heart. And the question is, how? How can he say this? What's the secret? How can you and I say that? This is what I want. I don't know when your time may come. I'm sure that some of you are in the time right now. But your time may come when you receive a text at 3 a.m. When a loved one says, I'm out of here. When the doctor walks toward you with a grave face, holding your x-rays in hand. How can we say, I do not lose heart? I think the answer that we'll see here in our passage may be in the word perspective. It's, you know, angle of view. It's our way of looking at the trials, our perspective on the trials. You know, how you look at something greatly determines how you feel toward the thing. Movie makers know about perspective, right? They, uh, two different movie makers can show the same thing. Let's say a mountain. One perspective, one point of view, one camera angle. Show, it's like down from low and it's looking up on the mountain and it fills the whole screen and it's a grand vista. And as you, you look at the mountain, you feel it produces in you the feeling of Big. 
Another movie maker shows the same thing, but with a different perspective. It's a handheld camera. It's jerky. It's jump. It's a close-up. You can't, you don't get the whole picture. You don't know where you are. And it, the, the, what it produces in you is a feeling of uh, disorientation and where, where am I? And, and uh, the way we look at something greatly determines how we respond to that thing. And so the question is, how did he look at his trials that enabled him to say, we do not lose heart? All right, here is the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, yes, absolutely perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12, so then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, a quotation from Psalm 116, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith we also believe, and therefore we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The question is, how did he say we do not lose heart, even though his life was very difficult? And by transference, how can we say, I do not lose heart, I do not give up, I don't abandon the faith, I don't bag it all when life is tough. The key word is perspective, and let me suggest very simply two perspectives that we may want to pray that God will give us also. The first perspective is a perspective about purpose purpose. Namely, that something bigger is going on with these trials than simply uh, a close-up view of your own pain. 
Now, I don't say, I'm not saying there is no pain. There, there is pain. There is pain. Yeah, but, but how you look at the trial, is there a purpose behind the trial, may help you to persevere through the trial. Three times in this passage, the Apostle Paul uses a purpose clause. He uses a little phrase, so that, you know, this happens so that, you know, for the purpose of. And it reveals his, his thinking about trials. Look at, in your, in your Bible there. In fact, I'll go back here to the passage. The first purpose clause is in verse 10. Do you see at the end of the the bottom of the screen there? We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed. We carry around the death of Jesus. We are persecuted. People hate us. They mistreat us. This is what happens in these bodies. For what purpose? So that the life of Jesus may be revealed to these people. What does he mean? He means that when he is in trials, when he is persecuted, when he's cast down, but he does not lose heart, the people see this sustaining strength. They see this energy, this superintending grace from God, and it leads to glory for God. When we are weak, then he is strong. When we are cast down, and yet we do not lose heart, people sit up and take notice. There must be some sustaining grace. There must be something supernatural going on here. Do you have that perspective on your trials? Or do you think your trials have no purpose at all? It's just about me, and I'm in pain, and life stinks, and I don't get it, and God doesn't like me, and I'm mad, and that's it. Or are your trials an opportunity to display the power, the sovereignty, and the grace of God? That's a very difficult perspective. But it is the perspective he had, and it's what I want for myself. Let me see if I can illustrate this, this first perspective about purpose. The first illustration is actually from the passage itself. Did you, did you hear that part about we have this treasure in jars of clay? What does that mean? We have this treasure in jars of clay. It's a cultural illusion. Back in the, in the New Testament times, if one people, like let's say the Romans, conquered another people, they would take these people and all of their treasures and gold and all this stuff back to Rome and they would have a grand triumphal parade where they displayed all this stuff. Well, they would take, for example, the treasury, the gold, the silver, and they would put these, these, these vast amounts of wealth in ordinary clay jars, big clay jars. It would take four men, like one, two, three, four, to carry one of these things. And the Apostle Paul is saying, we are the clay jars, just ordinary, just ordinary people, but inside of us is gold, treasure. What does he mean? He means that you're an ordinary person. Christians and non-Christians 
Our, our tires go flat, just like everyone else's, and our dreams go flat. Our hearts break over icy criticism. We are rejected at times. Just, just ordinary people. We have bodies that wear out. Most of you are too young to realize that. Your time is coming. We are just ordinary people. Just clay pots. But inside is the life of God. Gold, treasure, the gospel, the glory of God. And when we do not give in to despair, when we do not lose heart, then people sit up and take notice. There's something, there's a treasure inside this person. And they give glory to God. Let me see if I can give another illustration, not from the Bible. Uh, Bozo the Clown. When I was a kid, uh, this was probably like the greatest toy ever invented. Uh, not very politically correct today. But there was the Bozo the Clown punching bag. It was probably about this high, and it was a punching bag. It, it was Bozo the Clown, and the way you played with this thing was to punch it. Boom! And But what, what, what would happen, though? It would, boom! Backhand. Boom! Karate chop. Hi! Boom, 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 boom. Kick. Boom, 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 Why? Why did it always come back upright? Help me out. Why? Help me out. Why? There's a there's a, a weight in the bottom, a sand or something, and you can knock it over, but its nature was to come back. Do you see what I'm saying? We are pressed down, but not crushed. We are struck down, absolutely, but not abandoned. We are perplexed, absolutely, but not in despair. Why? Because of us? No. Because there is a gravitational center. His name is Jesus. The glory of God. We're just ordinary people. We're just clay pots. We're just Bozo the Clown. But when the world sees this sustaining strength, it opens a door for them to magnify God, the glory of God. Let me give you one other illustration. Let's move from the, uh, the figurative, you know, Bozo the Clown and Clay Potts. Let's move to real life. I want you to know that I'm preaching about real life. I'm not, this is not just preacher talk. This is not just in the sweet by and by. It's good for someone else. Let me tell you about a real person. His name is Pablo. He is my colleague at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He teaches counseling. A number of years ago, Pablo's adult son dove off of a boat into shallow water and he broke his neck, his, his upper back. And today, his son is paralyzed from about here down. Well, as you can imagine, this was a trial of the most severe kind 
for his son, but it was also a trial for Pablo and his wife. His son was suicidal for a while. Pablo would have to get up multiple times every night to care for his son. They had to remodel their house. It took hundreds of thousands of dollars. They had to wrestle with the insurance companies. It was a very severe trial. Well, uh, after a few months after that, Pablo was scheduled to preach in chapel. And I was the head of our chapel program at that time, and we would always uh, gather backstage to pray, and Pablo was nowhere to be found. We're like, oh man, it's time to... And so we were, suddenly then he kind of burst in the door, and he took off his, his coat and he shook it. It was a raw day outside, sleeting and raining, and it seemed to me that the circumstances of the weather must mirror the circumstances of his heart. And we prayed and went out on stage and did our thing, and then it came time for Pablo to preach. And before he preached, he said, May I play for you a song? He's a classical guitarist, and he reached for his guitar. Do you know what he played? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. So sweet. I was sitting in the front row. And my heart expanded not only in honor of this man, but also in praise to God for the sustaining grace. Where else does this power come from? This power to not lose heart from ourselves? It's the Spirit of God, the life of God, treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay. Bozo the Clown. So I ask you, do you have that perspective on your trials? Or do you only have an individualistic perspective? It's me. It's my headache. It's bad. It is. And without denying any of that, it is also a chance for you to experience God in a way that you can't experience Him when things are just going along smoothly. And when we know the grace of God, other people sit up and take notice, and it gives glory to him. And that is the first perspective on trials. I have one more. I'm going to be very brief with this because we're going to take it up next week. We're going to continue with this. But the second perspective on trials deals with the future, namely... Resurrection is coming. Heaven is in sight. Now that does not answer all questions about why we suffer. It doesn't answer, you know, why uh, volcanoes explode and kill people and why this happened. But it does perhaps help us say and mean, I do not lose heart. 
In this life, something will always be missing. This is a fallen, broken world, and you and I are fallen, broken people, and our communities, and even this church, and something will always be missing. And that is designed to point us forward. A better day is coming. We have an instinct. Justice must win. Relationships have to take place. Pain has to cease. And your instinct is correct. Although you'll never experience it fully in this life, resurrection is coming. And we see that truth in verses 13 and 14. It is written, Psalm 116, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Okay? The Apostle Paul says, okay, with that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore we're speaking, I'm preaching to you guys, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in that coming day. So as I say, I'm not going to expand this, I'm not going to draw this out, except to say that in our progress as pilgrims, in our pilgrims' progress, when the road is smooth, when the road goes downhill, when the road, when we have nice traveling companions in our pilgrimage, we rarely think about heaven. Because life is good. But when the road twists, when it's uphill... When the lightning flashes, then we think there's got to be something better than this. And your instinct is correct. If you belong to Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are in union with Christ, if you believe in Him, if He is your Lord, if He has shared His life with you, His resurrection life, then He rose and you will rise also. And so is that your perspective on trials? In this life, something is always missing. I am meant for another life. I can make it. God is using these trials to purify my own character. He's preparing me for the next age. Now, that doesn't answer all your questions. It doesn't answer all my questions. But it may help us say with the Apostle Paul, I do not lose heart. So, what are you going through? Can you adopt this pers- these perspectives? This trial is an opportunity to display the power and sustaining grace of God. Perspective number one, a perspective about purpose. Perspective number two, heaven is coming. Our light and momentary troubles are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outshines all of this stuff. May God help you. May he help me when we face trials to say with the apostle, we do not lose heart.
Heavenly Father, please help us. It's very difficult. It's very difficult, Lord, to adopt these perspectives, and yet it is your word. Help us to think about heaven often. Help us to see in our hardships an opportunity to display your glory. And help us to say, I do not lose heart. In Jesus' name, amen.